0: high in the air Brito back at the wall Adios Pelunta.
1: Welcome to episode 136 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. And Andy, I'm going to list the last three giant starters to have 136 strikeouts in a season. Are you ready?
2: Um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> i i I, it, it took me a second. I'll be honest. I wasn't ready. And
1: now, now I am. I'm ready. You know, just because uh, we now I can squeeze in the next one. The last four giant starters to have 136 strikeouts in a season. We have Johnny Cueto in 2017. Sean Estes in 2000. Mark Gardner in 1997 and Mike Kruko in 1983. That is a very, very good Giants list.
2: Ooh, Mike Kruko. Ooh. You know, Mike Kruko pops up all the time. You'll be looking in an old box score the last time the Giants did this or that. And, oh, Kruko started that game, you know. It's and not just the Giants, you know. You'll you'll look up and and boom, there he is uh pitching for the Cubs or whatever. I mean, he he really is kind of a Kevin Bacon type of figure. He played with <laughs> he played with a lot of different people.
1: Yeah, just a tremendous Giants career. A tremendous baseball career and it's not like it gets overshadowed because he's a, a more widely known as an announcer a long time decades-long announcer for the Giants but it's it's easy to you know let yourself forget like oh yeah like that is a just fantastic baseball career
2: you know um, I've listened to more crook and kipe uh, over the last two years than really I ever had just because I've been covering a lot of games from home and uh, and, and now, you know, the last two days in Arizona, I was there. I was at the ballpark. I got to talk to players. I got to say hi to Logan Webb and ask him how his bullpen went. And, and uh, you know, we're still standing six feet apart from them and, and we're on in the stands and they're, you know, standing in the dugout or whatever. But it's just so cool. And yet, even though I'm back on site and talking to players again and covering a game from the venue again, I still I have the you know I, I stream I, I cut the cordon so I, I can do the streaming and, and see the Giants broadcast from from wherever I go and I'll listen to crook and kipe during the game it's a force of habit how could I not now that I just have I just I mean I laugh out loud when I when I listen to them on the broadcast I mean he, he the you're, you think you've heard every single phrase in baseball and uh and then there's there's crook saying that Merrill Kelly is is he's got such good command he's carving out there he's shaving paint off a balloon like that's beautiful <laughs> i've never heard that before did he just make that up or or is that something he always says you know so i i've loved it that's been one positive of this whole nutty crazy sad year was was getting to listen to Kruk and Kype more. And I I think I'm not I'm, I'm not ready to go back. See, that's the thing
1: about my baseball writing career is that I started in my mother's basement, and that's where they streamed the Giants games. And so I, you know, for the last few decades, it's just it's Kruko, Kyper, and that's just my Giants experience. So when I go now and now I'm and now I'm a big boy and I've got press access, uh, and I go, I really do enjoy that. At the same time, I do miss Kruk and Kipe. I do miss that. And I will go so far as to say if the Giants had a press Press box situation like uh, Anaheim or Washington or Pittsburgh, where you they just put you out of sight, out of mind. I wouldn't go to any games with press access. It's just it wouldn't be worth it for me to give up that. It's just the Giants situation is. is so good that it, it forces my hand
2: yeah yeah and you know what's funny is watching the game in person and then listening to them at the same time and and you know the feed is maybe about 20 seconds behind or whatever so i'll have seen a play unfold and then i'll listen to to uh, a kite call it and you know they're in a tough spot they, they don't have all the cameras uh they, they they're not there to watch the play unfold they you know i, I want to like tell them no the runner started they started the runner with a three two count but he's got no way of knowing it you know because uh because they're they're <laughs> broadcasting the game from san francisco but still i i just love the fact that even with that there there's honesty and transparency it's like hey look they're doing the best they can we're getting all the angles we can we're not always going to know what, what what's going to happen Are the balls in the air we're not going to know if it's fair or foul and um and uh and i i just i appreciate that it's just very refreshing and and um and I, I think it's that that honesty is part of what makes them so good.
1: All right. Well, halfway through yesterday's game, we're recording this on Thursday. So I'm talking about Wednesday night's game. I was prepared for one of those, you know, dag nabbit, You know, now we have to talk about a Giants loss and it's uh, just one of those things and can't win them all. And the Giants came back. And in one way, that's just what happens to a team that's on a 10-game losing streak. They will put the wrong pitcher in at the wrong time against the wrong pinch hitter. That's just how 10-game losing streaks happen. At the same time, the Giants have shown that they can beat bad teams, and the Diamondbacks, for all intents and purposes, look like a pretty darn bad team.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, it really was not going the Giants way early. Johnny Cueto struggled. He, he I mean, he was really just, it looked like he was just unfocused. I mean, there was a time he he went to back up the plate late and almost almost you know, ran into the runner scoring. There was another time he, he didn't uh, rotate to cover third, and and uh, Brandon Crawford almost couldn't record an out because he had to check the runner back because there was no one covering third base because they were in a shift. I mean Cueto just looked like he was just sort of spaced out, and uh, and you thought, okay, well this is going to be you know a forgettable game. But then you looked up in the sixth inning, and it's like you know what, it's it's only four nothing. This is this is not crazy. And then boom, there's a Duggar single, Yastrzemski laces a double, and uh, and and they they get a couple runs back. Um, and, and then you know then, then you you fast forward to the 8th and and it's a different hero all the time right and this time it happened to be um uh, it happened to be Austin Slater and and Jason Vosler who enters the game because yet another giant got hurt and and yet they they plug somebody in who ends up Having the tie-breaking homer for the first homer of his major league life, so I mean, and and then you had the ninth inning with Tyler Rogers, that was just a nail biter. It was, it ended up being a really really dramatic game.
1: It was a fantastic game, and Tyler Rogers, you know, the first hit he gives up, it, part of it's Pavin Smith with a ten pitch at bat, and it was a fantastic at bat. Just he was not giving in uh, to Rogers. He was he was doing his thing. Uh, at the same time, the way he reached was weak contact, a weak single, and you're thinking, oh okay, you know. Rodgers is going to blow a save eventually or blow a lead eventually. This is just how it happens. And he, you know, he gets a lot of credit for the funk. Uh, I'm not sure if he gets enough uh, credit for the concentration and his ability to bear down. These are things that a reliever, especially one who throws 80-something at best, uh, you're not necessarily, it's not guaranteed that he's going to have the confidence to go up, in, out, down, wherever it takes. Like, he's, he's a relief pitcher's relief pitcher, no matter how hard he throws.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, the Smith one, you were like, okay, the next ball that's hit like that, you know, will probably be a double play. And then, you know... Then it's going to be you know easy peasy from there. But no, Nick Ahmed sort of uh, slapped a ball uh, that was away out of the strike zone, and, and he singles, and then um, and then Josh Rojas singles. And you know a big play in that game actually was Stephen Vogt came off the bench after the first two hits, and he hit a pretty decent fly ball to to relatively deep center field. And Tim LaCastro is the pinch runner at that point, I believe, right? And he's mm-hmm. he's he's a probably the most efficient base stealer, one of the best base runners in, in baseball. And how much respect is that for Austin Slater's arm in center field that Lacastro did not try to tag, uh, and 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 he stayed put. Um, and then Josh Rojas, you know, has another little single that 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 uh, um, that was hit pretty hard and ate up Evan Longoria. But um, uh, you know, Mike Talkman's playing in; uh, they had good positioning on the outfield, and, and so uh, all of a sudden the bases are loaded. And, and Tyler Rogers gets out of it. One out and the base is loaded. And he, he had to concentrate and get Ketel uh, Marte, the, the best hitter in that lineup. He had to get him out twice. Once the tapper in front of the plate, that, that buster alertly fielded and stepped on the plate, and then the plate umpire kind of blew it and said it wasn't a fair ball. And so then Rogers comes right back out after Gabe Kapler came out to argue and all that other stuff. Uh, can, can you get some help from the other umpires? No, I saw it. Okay, fine, you're wrong, but whatever. So so then he goes back in there, and what does Tyler Rogers do? He throws one of his weirdo UFO rise balls that, I, I, I mean, there's no other pitch like it in the major leagues, and strikes Marte out, and then one more ground ball that uh, was a really tough play that Brandon Crawford made look easy and and that's it i mean it, it was just there was just so much that 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 only only the certain player Uh, in that position could do, whether it was Slater in center field having the arm, Crawford being adept enough to not screw up a really tough ground ball, and Tyler Rogers just being a a unicorn out there.
1: Yeah, we talked uh, at the beginning of this uh, about the difficulties that Dwayne Kuyper might have calling a game on the road from Oracle Park, and it's it's not easy for him. It's not what he's used to. At the same time, in a situation like that with LoCastro tagging up or not tagging up, His surprise mirrored the surprise I had watching at home, which is I thought it was a given that he had tagged up and that Slater was smartly throwing behind the runner to prevent uh, the runner from first from moving up to second. And it was great to have like the surprise all at once. Like, wait a second. LaCastro's still on second base. How in the heck did that happen? And then for him to be parked at third after a single, I, I don't think you could do that with someone with that speed like very often. That's like a unicorn kind of inning where you have the fastest guy on the Diamondbacks, if not one of the very fastest in the National Leagues. And he's just station to station. I don't think you'll ever see that again.
2: Yeah, I wonder if, if uh, maybe they're regretting that LaCastro didn't try to tag up. I mean, you get him on third with 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 one out and, and the odds of scoring him are obviously a lot better but it is a risk at that point and and he's, he is in scoring position already at that point but you know they got a little lucky that the the ball that um, Josh Rojas hit if it were sort of a, a choppy ball that gets through, uh, then, I think Locastro probably does score from second base, but it was really hit hard and ate up Longoria and Talkman was playing shallow and got to it quick so that combination is probably probably a, a little bit of good luck that that uh, that um that helped the Giants because, you know, Tyler Rogers' the average, average exit velocity is just ridiculous against him. And there are not a lot of hard hit balls that will get to an outfielder quickly. And that one did and ended up being uh, actually a little bit of a benefit.
1: And one one last point before we move on from that game is that I watched the strikeout of Kettle Marte uh Probably about 30 times because it's it's like one of my favorite categories of strikeout now in the modern game where someone is looking for a Tyler Rogers pitch and gets the exact opposite. He was looking, he was sitting on that sinker on the outside. And so he's leaning over the plate, leaning over the plate. Rogers throws the UFO rise ball and... By gosh, Kevin Gossman almost looked like a prophet because that came close to hitting Marte. It broke him down, and Marte's a good hitter. And watching a good hitter just look like... It looks like... I don't know. It just looks like Rogers popped out 10 feet in front of home plate and like yeah, and threw a ball at him. Like it's That's how he reacted. I
2: love watching good hitters like that look so silly. Someone's got to make a YouTube video at the end of the year, which is like 10 minutes of Tyler Rogers almost hitting left-handed hitters in the face. <laughs> just... Th- Ten straight minutes and, and uh, over and over and over again. And, and most of them are probably going to strike out uh, and, and swing at it. But um, you know what was interesting? If you watched it a bunch of times, I'm sure you noticed that Buster was set up low and away. And I wonder yeah. if that was to deke the runner on second base, you know, because uh, uh, and not give away a location because he hopped at the last instant and, and caught that pitch uh, up and in. So, you know, there may have even been an extra level there.
1: The Giants have a long history of funk, uh, whether it's Steve Reed or Sergio Romo. Uh, I'm just tickled to watch Tyler Rogers. uh, You know, he's he's 30. It's not like he's some prospect. He had to grind and grind to get to the majors and establish himself in a major league bullpen. He was left unprotected in the Rule 5 draft twice. And just no one gave him a chance. And his success is like one of... Like, it, it sounds hyperbolic, but it's like one of the reasons to love baseball in this era of triple digit velocity and just pitchers throwing harder and harder and wipeout slider, wipe out sl- Like this guy is so funky and different and yet it's working. And that's just it's one of the reasons to be romantic about this silly game.
2: So here's here's a little math uh, uh, question for you, um, uh, a little word problem. OK, so Tyler yeah. Rogers average release point is one point five feet off the ground. Um, so you know not quite dragging his knuckles but pretty close Um, if he throws a pitch that is up and in for a strike that's way more than 1.5 feet off the ground right so Mm -hmm. is he throwing a pitch that's rising and if not What explains the fact that he can actually throw a pitch for a strike without it rising?
1: I would think that, yes, it is rising. And that's always been, you know, the the well actually of the baseball story you know, circles that you can't really have a rising fastball. You know, physics says and and Professor Adair says and, you know, stuff like that. It's it's very it's like a a common Internet baseball trope is that you can't actually have a rising fastball. But you can if you're throwing underhanded. I mean, I see it in softball all the time. There are actual rising pitches. And I do. I mean, I'm sure it it takes like five seconds for for Eno to look at this and go, well, yeah, you look at here. Of course, it's rising. Uh, But I think without looking. Yeah, I think absolutely it rises. I think he's got a couple different pitches that
2: rise. So uh, it took Eno more than five seconds. It probably took him closer to five minutes. But I had a lot of asks for him, and um, <laughs> so I can tell you that the, the Magnus effect makes it pretty much theoretically impossible for someone to throw a pitch that is rising as it is still on its way to home plate. Um, mm. Tyler Rogers uh, uh, a breaking ball. He calls it a curveball. Statcast calls it a slider. Whatever. It, uh, it is actually going down by the time it crosses the plate. However, his release angle is 5.27 degrees, which is by far the highest uh, positive release angle for any pitcher in Major League Baseball. Uh, I mean, when he releases it, it's angling up. And uh, at some point when that ball is going from the, you know, his hand to home plate, it is going to start to drop. But for a lot of that distance, it is going up because he's releasing it with a positive, uh, essentially, launch angle or release angle. Um, and the average pitcher has pretty much an average release angle of zero. And there are some pitchers who throw conventionally have a positive angle because they throw a breaking ball that kind of pops out of their hand a little bit. Hugh Darvish is one of those guys, Rich Hill. Uh, but that's you're talking only like two, two two and a half degrees. So... That's kind of how he's doing it. And yeah, you're right. It's almost exactly like the effect of a Jenny Finch fastball. And, and you know how like anytime Jenny Finch, would, w- when she was uh, playing, would, would uh, show up to a big league ballpark and offer to throw <laughs> BP to like Paula Duca or Barry Bonds. And they'd be like, no, I'm not taking BP against you. Ha ha ha. That's not fair. They were petrified because they knew they couldn't hit that. Because they'd never seen pitches like that before. Well, guess what? Tyler Rogers is Jenny Finch right now, and hitters do not like it.
1: Yeah, no, I I used to show uh, my daughter Jenny Finch striking out Albert Pujols. Uh, yes, just, just blowing blowing him away. It was just what can he do that you don't see that very often. And it, it it I want to ask you if. Are pitchers more homogenous now than maybe they they might have been in the past? Or am I making too much of that? Because it seems like the baseball factory has has turned these, these hitters into power hitters, uh, selective hitters, hitters who aren't necessarily as scared about the strikeout as long as they're doing damage on the pitch in the strike zone. And it's like a very specific way to hit the majority of the pitchers. Is there a way to completely undo this baseball factory with more funk and, and just guys, more guys like Tyler Rogers?
2: I think it's just finding different ways that you can put the ball in locations uh, that are going to be counterproductive to what hitters are really trying to do, which is not hit the ball on the ground and find a way to drive you know uh, you know hit balls hard and in the air even to locations that where they were like two seamers away meant to get you know 643 double plays i mean th- those pitches don't uh, hitters don't approach those those the same way anymore so um, if you can you know get the ball above those groove swings how many how many just absolute just cement mixer uh, um, kind of mistake hanging curve balls have you seen guys swing through all they have to do is be up If they're up in the zone, they can even be floating hangers, but they're they're going to be underneath their swings and it can actually turn into a pretty good pitch. So, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is Barry Zito, whatever you're doing, I'm sure the music's wonderful. Come back. (laughs) There's a place for you. There's a place for you in baseball.
1: I was just wearing my masked singer rhinoceros shirt uh, yesterday. (laughs) My daughter hates it when I wear that and drop her off to school. Don't
2: actually own that. Do you? You, oh, yeah, you do. Yes, you do. Of oh, yeah.
1: You do. Yeah, no, I had it. They don't sell them officially, so I had to get like an Etsy or a Cafe Press or something like that. But uh, I was so invested with Barry Zito on The Masked Singer, even though he rebuffed my interview requests. Uh, I just, I loved the whole idea that Barry freaking Zito was on The Masked Singer, and it forced like Jenny McCarthy to pretend at one point because you can't just like announce, oh, it's Barry Zito, and then have the national audience go, oh, yeah, of course. Like, you have to set it up a little bit, and then and watch Jenny McCarthy go, I think it could be Barry Zito as if like, you know, some, I don't know. It just, it was right. so counterintuitive. No one's thinking that. Um, so just to watch that was so I had such a tremendous time watching that whole progression with my family. So yeah, I have a Barry
2: Zito Masked Singer shirt. Very good. Very good. So how do we transition from that? I, I want to see where you go from there.
1: Uh, I want to uh, get your thoughts about the Masked Singer this season. Now, the last <laughs> episode <laughs> <laughs> uh, You know, real quick, before we move on to the Dodgers series, I do want to talk about the diamondbacks insofar as i didn't think that they were this horrible entering the season they had like that little spell of success actually in the beginning of the season and, and i looked at the roster and i said yeah that kind of makes a little bit of sense why are the Diamondbacks so freaking bad you know
2: i i kind of feel like their best late plans, when they come undone, they come undone. Like in spring training, like some of the guys that they <laughs> count on, or some of their big moves. I think of a couple of years ago when they got Steven Souza, and he was like their big offensive uh, addition. And he got hurt in spring training. Then he came back for one day, and then he like I don't know, blew out his pectoral muscle or something weird. And then nope, no more Steven Souza. You know, or or uh, uh, one year, uh, you know, Brandon Webb got hurt and he went down, and and I mean he's Oof. two time Cy Young Award winner, and now he's like done all of a sudden. Um, so yeah, it seems like they really do have catastrophic things that happen and they don't have a lot of margin for error. So, you know, Kettle Marte goes like, you know, eight for 10 in the first series of the season. And then boom, he's out, uh, with, with the hamstring. Uh, and, and, you know, little did every team in the majors know that basically they'd all have a Kettle Marte on their roster, but, um, uh, you know, and and Zach Gallant, you know, a guy who uh, looked like he could be one of the better pitchers in the national league and, and he's been battling injuries. So, I, it hasn't really taken much to throw throw them completely off their game, uh, but, uh, but yeah, there's just you look at the rotation, you look at the the bullpen, you look at the lineup and, and really there's no part of that team uh, that you could imagine would be kind of scary or, or, or above average. and that kind of tells you it's not a great team.
1: Well, I botched the last segue, but I have one for you now. Steven Souza has a 457 on on-base percentage in AAA this season for the Dodgers. Uh, so now we get to talk about the Dodgers and uh, Steven Souza. Uh, but no, more specifically, the Dodgers and... It seems like it's going to be easy to make too much of this series yet again. Uh, if the Giants were to get swept in four games, uh, there would be hot takes. And I think that might actually uh, require some of the hotter takes. At the same time, it's still early. It's still, yeah, you know, it's still May. Uh, But is this like a make-or-break series? Is it? Am I overthinking this by underthinking it? Is it still just like the most important series of the season yet again? Well, the
2: first thing to point out is that since Albert Pujols is a Dodger now, the Giants need to sign Jenny Finch for this series. (laughs) I'm for it. That we can establish, right? But um, I don't know. I kind of do feel like, you know, we both wrote, okay, step back from the ledge, you know, just because they got swept and the last game was really ugly. Uh, doesn't necessarily you know, mean more than three games, but I do kind of feel like if the Giants walk into Dodger Stadium and they get their lunch handed to them in four games and lose all four, and all of a sudden they're 0-7 against the Dodgers— I kind of do think that there would be some kind of hangover from that or there could be um, some doubts could creep in or, or it could have a lingering effect. You know, human nature within that club. I also don't want to assume anything, but it's human nature that it would affect the group a little bit. And I think it certainly would affect fan perceptions. So, yeah, I, I do think that it's probably, um, you know, a good idea that they go in with the with the uh, with the kind of goal of just not getting sand kicked in their face again.
1: Now, do we know who's pitching uh, tonight's game, which would be Thursday night's game? Uh, It has, I'm talking for the Dodgers, Uh, we have TBD, and I'm not sure who it might be for the Dodgers, do you know? I
2: do not know. I think it's going to be a Johnny Holstaff game, from what I understand.
1: Okay, so that just leads me into this question, where this is going to be a little bit heretical, and maybe I am kicking sand in the face of the baseball gods, but after TBD, you have Walker Buehler, Julio Arias, and Clayton Kershaw. Of those three pitchers, is it wrong of me to say that the Giants have the best chance of beating Kershaw now? Have we reached that point in his career and also the other two young pitchers' careers where the Giants are a little bit better set up against a lefty like Kershaw?
2: I kind of feel that way, although the thing about Urias is he doesn't pitch super deep into games unless he's really efficient. So if they can have good at bats against him and run up his pitch count, that does leave them with a fair number of innings to cover. I mean, they have a great bullpen too. So, you know, it's not like you're opening the magic door to, you know, fame and fortune if you get the the Dodgers bullpen in there. But yeah, you know, I I do think that there is an opportunity there as well. And you know what, I I, I also kind of think that this could set up to be very interesting from a pitching perspective uh, as the Giants view it, because, you know, we know that Logan Webb came out of his last bullpen feeling good. He's going to be activated to start against Darius on Saturday. And you know what? It might not be the craziest idea in the world if he's kind of used as almost a jumbo opener, you know, where hmm. where he only has to face their lineup the first time through. And then you could unleash Scott Casimir and you go from a righty to a lefty. You know, they might have to use Casimir earlier so that that plan could go out the window. But I could kind of see that making a little bit of sense as I mean you've seen other teams do that the 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 Padres have been doing that with D Nelson Lamette as, as they've been kind of you know gradually you know bringing him along and he's almost he's almost been like uh, I don't know can we come up with a better phrase than jumbo opener uh, Costco sized <laughs> opener um, opener plus um, I don't know
1: um, uh, uh, jumbo petite uh, no wait. Uh- uh, reverse petite no that doesn't work because uh yusmero Peti- oh gosh now i'm confused I'm, I'm spun around but yeah no i know what you mean like a, a yusmero petite but a larger version
2: <laughs> right yeah exactly exactly that
1: all right well you know it's the the urias in the the kershaw thing it's what we're kind of glossing over here or We haven't mentioned yet Is that Darren Ruff is likely to be out We don't have official word as of yet If uh, his hamstring strain Is going to put him on the IL Or not But it seems likely He was in a lot of pain It didn't look like just a cramp uh, So the Giants against left-handers With Ruff out That's its a little bit trickier Because you have Ruff out You have Flores out uh, This isn't the same lefty punishing lineup That you might have What are the Giants is going to do it first base? you think it's going to be a little bit of Austin Slater out there? Is it going to be Jason Vossler? What do you think they'll do? Well,
2: um, that is one one area where they do catch, I don't know if you'd call it a break or, or, or a stroke of good luck, or it does work out better for them that the two lefties they're going to face are Saturday and Sunday because Flores is eligible on Saturday mm. and he's done just about everything and they think he's going to be ready to be activated. And, you know, hard, hard when you've sat out for, for two weeks to all of a sudden have to face uh Ureus and 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 Kershaw out of the box. But um you know, I think they will have Flores back in the lineup, and 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 that could allow them to to have Slater start in the outfield, which would give them an extra uh, right-handed uh, matchup for those last two games.
1: Got it. That makes a lot of sense. It, you know, I'm looking at the Giants' first base. Uh, just it's kind of like spinal tap drummers right now, where you've got Brandon Belt out, Flores has been out, uh, Darren Ruff obviously went down, uh, Lestella was supposed to get a little bit of time there. So if Flores is coming back, that is he like. Like the default first baseman, is he going to split time with,
2: with Vossler? Is that the, the platoon that we're, we should expect? Yeah, I'm really not sure. They, they really don't believe that Brandon Belt's going to be out a long time, which, you know, it might, might be mm-hmm. hard to, to envision because, you know, he, he missed, what, six games and then came back in and really didn't look good when he went down with that swing. But, you know, they they do feel like he he's not going to be, you know, on the La Stella track where all of a sudden you wake up one day and he's on the 60-day injured list. So, you know, that, that'll be a big, um, a boost if, if they do get belt back soon. Um, and you know what though, if, if they keep losing people or, or, or they can't get guys back fast enough, you know, we may see Justin Bohr on this team and, and that would actually be quite a sight to behold. I, I'm a big fan of his, uh, of his run with the Hanshin Tigers last year. And sometimes I'll just, when I need to pick me up, I'll just dial up a Justin Bohr Hanshin <laughs> Tigers, uh, YouTube, uh, um, Home run, uh, home run highlight, and 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 with with the volume all the way up so I can hear the announcers appreciate every bit of it, and it'll just make me make my heart
1: sing justin Bohr is one of the beefier of the beefy big boys in baseball uh, he's doing okay in sacramento he's not hitting for a ton of power but he's got a high on base percentage the average is low but who cares about average and a handful of at-bat so i don't know you could see him it would require 40 man roster chicanery but if there is going to be an extended absence i could see the giant giants throwing some spaghetti to the wall and see if he sticks beefy big boys i like
2: that we, we could we could come up with something there <laughs> that that that, that that could stick. We could keep that.
1: Yeah, he's listed at six four two seventy. I mean, that's you don't get beefier than that. That is beef supreme.
2: Maybe we could call it the the, the jumbo opener. Could be the big beefy big boy opener.
1: <laughs> oh man, this th- this is going to be an awkward place to end it. Uh, but I think I have to because how can you top beefy big boy <laughs>
2: All right, this
1: has been episode one hundred and thirty six of the Bags and Brisby podcast. By the time you are listening to us again, we'll know what in the heck happened in a four-game series in Los Angeles. I, for one, can't wait. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you then.